0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. So today we're going to be talking about the armor of God. Just looking at this, what comes to your mind? War, right? I'm a, I'm a, a guy Who, How else, right? I love movies that uh, that's just about battles and war. Uh, three of my favorite is uh, <laughs> Gladiator 300 and Troy. It's like you just watch it and you really don't need a plot to watch those movies. It just begins with fighting and it ends with fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting, right? And that's a man's movie right there. I'm sorry for, for the mo- mothers in the house. <laughs> but that's what it is. Whenever you, when, when it's a war movie, sometimes you don't really need the plot. Even uh, some of the ones who gives a review when it comes to war movies who said, who needs a plot? Just, it's just pull-up action. So we're going to talk about the armor of God. And, and I want to get you, ex- uh, the reason why I said that is because whenever we talk about armors and battles, that's the first thing that comes to mind is really war. So let's go ahead and go to our, uh, our text. It's, it's going to come from Ephesians chapter 10 or chapter 6 instead. And we're going to read through 10 or 8 verses. So this is Paul in the last chapter or in his letter to the Ephesians. And it goes like this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. Let's just do that last one. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given Paul a glimpse of what is going on in heaven. And you have left us with the resources to how to fight this battle. So, Father, I pray today that we will hear your words. We would be able to stand as this uh, passage says. That we can stand, 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 and stand. This I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, here it talks about armor. And it talks about battle. If if, If you... If you're like me, what do you uh, picture? You picture a war and a battle. So if you would take this and make it into a modern-day battle, what do you think when you enter a battle, what is the first thing that you need to do? Say, for example, our military, what is the first thing our U.S. military does before they engage into war? They send their what? Train? They send their B-52? No. (laughs) I believe what the... Most of the things that we don't see happening before we engage in the war, I think, is the gathering of intelligence. That's what they first do. They gather intelligence. Uh, that movie, uh, was that, 13 Strong or 12 Strong? And Thor became a soldier. Have you seen that? <laughs> Thor became a soldier. So that's, that's what they do. They gather intelligence. So if we're going to engage in a battle ourselves, I think it's a good place to start. We also got to have to gather some intelligence. We got to know... What this fight is about. We got to know who was our enemy. Uh, can you put back 10 to 12, uh, Sean? It says there, stand against the walls. Stand against the walls of the devil. This is who our enemy is, the devil. And it says there, he has, he's, uh, he's wily. Okay, In other translation, it says he, says he has schemes and he has tactics. So that should be our first thing that we should do is get to know who is our enemy. So let's do that. Who is our enemy? So Paul already tells us that our enemy is the devil. But what else is he? He is also called a liar. In John, he's called a liar. Not just a liar, but he's called a father of lies. What else? In your reading, what else have you come across? He's called a teep in John 10. Any other thing? He all throughout the New Testament and uh, in fact all throughout throughout the, throughout the Bible he's been called a master deceiver. Go on. In First Peter he is called an adversary, and he is likened to a lion, a predator that always goes around seeking someone to devour. That's our enemy. What else? Anything else? The dragon in 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 in. Um, in Revelation he's called the dragon, other things that he's called is so he's a serpent. Anything else that I miss? Of course Satan is the name that's uh, given to him. Anything else? He's called the devil. That's it. Right? So this is all him. These are the names that the Bible talks about who our enemy is. He's called the he he's a liar, he's the father of lies, he is a master deceiver. He is an like a lion, he's a predator, he's a dragon, he's a liar. Uh, in one of the um, scriptures in Corinthians, it says that he's such a master deceiver that he can appear as an angel of light. That's, how, that's the, how good he is when it comes to deceiving people. He can make the right look wrong and make the wrong look right. That's just deception right there. So that's who he is. So what else though? But what else can we learn about him? Go ahead. Let's do the, the next What's his goal? What is his goal? Is it it good or is it bad? Go ahead. John 10.10, this is his goal. The teep does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his one mission. That's his one goal. To steal from you, to kill anything that you have, to destroy anything that you have. Now, for the non-believer and the believer, (laughs) it's called... This is, what we, this is what the uh, Christians, uh, this battle that happens is what we Christians uh, use as the term spiritual warfare. It only becomes a warfare when there's actually an opposition. For the believer, it's a warfare. But if you're a non-believer and you don't know what you have, it's not a warfare. It's really a demolition. You're just getting beaten up and you don't know what's going on. And that's why... In Ephesians, Paul tells us that the Lord has left us with resources in order that we can, do, that we can battle back. So that's his one goal in, in mind towards us. It doesn't matter if you're a believer. It doesn't matter that you're a, a non-believer. Because you are created in the image of God. That's all he cares about. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Alright? Next slide. But what is he not like? See, sometimes we think that the, because we lack an understanding of, what, of our enemy, we, we might think that he is just like our God, but he is not. See, the devil does not have the same attributes as God. God is omniscient. Meaning what? He knows everything. That's why his mind doesn't change. He doesn't repent. He doesn't change because he knows everything. For God to change his mind to repent, that means he doesn't know everything. But the devil does not know everything. The only reason he gets to know what's going on in your life is when you start opening your mouth. That's why in the Proverbs it says that the power of life and death is really in the, in the is in your own mouth. Sometimes, when you begin to uh, you, when you begin to say things that's going on in your life, then the devil will know what's going on in your life. God is omnipotent; the devil is not. Omnipotent meaning God is all powerful; the devil is not all powerful. Okay. He is not all-powerful. If the devil is all-powerful, then everybody should have been dead by now because that's his main goal, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the fact that you're here today in church, that means that he was not all-powerful. You were able to make it to church. You were able to get saved. He was not able to stop you from getting saved. He was, he was not able to stop you from praying that prayer that Pastor Mark said earlier. You, you're now part of, uh, of, of the, Christian, uh, the Christian community. Then God is omnipresent and the devil is not. What is omnipresent? It means that he is all present everywhere at all times. Get that? God is all present everywhere all the time. And that's why we have the faith to pray for people who is on the other side of the world. Because God is also over there. He's also present on the other side. We can pray any time of the day, whether it's night over there and night over here. God's not sleeping in the other side of the world when it's daytime here. Okay? The devil is not. He's not everywhere, every time, and any time. Correct? Our God is. So that really is, it gives us an advantage. So this is, God is omnipresent, is omnipotent, and is omniscient. Our enemy is not. He has a limited power. Okay, but having said that, you should never underestimate Him. All right, next, uh, next passage, please. This is what it says in Colossians. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, this is what happened. Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus, because of what he did in the cross, what he did is he disarmed the devil. Okay? At one point he had a power, but now he is disarmed. Are you getting this, church? He is now disarmed. He has no more power against you and I. Then if that's true, then why is it are we still battling? Think about it. If he's been disarmed, then why do we still go to this spiritual warfare? To illustrate that, let me... uh, let me rehearse some pain for those of you who are a Cavaliers fan. I'm sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm sorry. I, I know it's a, you're, you're already healing, okay? <laughs> but in the last game of the, of the 2018 NBA Finals against the Golden State and LeBron James, okay? It was really just a LeBron James uh, team. If you watched it, you might have noticed that in the last three minutes of the game... Coach Lou pulled out LeBron and the starting lineup, the first five. Did you, if you guys have uh, not seen it, uh, that's what happens. And as soon as he did that, the Golden State pulled out his starting five. Okay, in the NBA, you call that trash time. It means that what the coach did is that he understood that he has already lost. So therefore, to save his player from any further da- uh, from getting injured for. Uh, he pulls out his starting five because he already knows that he has lost. So it's the same thing with the winning team. He pulls out. So once the losing team, they understand that in the last three minutes, the, the, the point is so much that they cannot catch up within the, 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 in the three minutes, they pulled out their starting five. And as soon as the winning team sees that, they pull out their starting five also. That's what it is. It's called trash time. During that time, the players really, it doesn't really matter anymore. It is already a win-win for them. They've already won. And that's what happened in game four of the NBA finals. Uh, Coach Lou pulled, pulled out his team. That means he has already surrendered. He has already conceded. He has yielded to the fact that they can no longer win in the, in the, in the next three minutes of the game. That's called trash time. But our enemy does not believe that. See, that's the thing with our enemy. Our enemy does not believe on trash time. Though he's already been disarmed, he's already been defeated. He has not surrendered, nor has he conceded his defeat. And that is why we're battling. So we are not battling to win, just like the last three minutes. Where just uh, the, the Golden State were just really celebrating, and they were just waiting for the time to expire. So in the same way, well, the difference is, Our enemy has not conceded. Our enemy has not yielded, he has not surrendered, he has not admitted to himself that I am already defeated. So he's still fighting back. And that's when the battle begins. That's where the battle is. We're not battling to win, okay? Because he is already a defeated enemy. What we're battling against is for him that he doesn't want to surrender. We're battling to enforce that he is already defeated. That's a spiritual warfare. We're battling an enemy that has not surrendered, that has not yielded, that has not conceded. And we're battling to enforce that you are already defeated. We're battling to enforce that you are already defeated. That's what we're battling. Or in the other hand... We're battling to enforce that Christ is already a victor. That's what we're battling against. And that's spiritual warfare. We're not trying to battle to win. For you to think that we're trying to battle to win is really pride in you. It's really self-righteousness thinking that we can battle the enemy. If we would remove Christ out of the picture, we have nothing to battle the enemy with. He's been here longer. Amen? So that's spiritual warfare. We're battling an enemy that would not surrender, and he's still fighting, and he's still fighting, and he's still fighting. But we are here, and that's why Paul left us with all these resources and, to, and this armor. And that's why if you if you followed along as I read that, you would notice that the word stand there was repeated four times. To stand your ground is really to resist, to resist, to resist, to, to resist. That's what Paul was saying, resist the enemy. Resist the enemy. Stand your ground. Resist him. Resist him. So we're battling. So that's spiritual warfare. And that's why God gave us an armor. Next, please. So he's defeated. We're trying to enforce his defeat. But yet it says here that he still has tactics. He still has schemes. And because he's been here longer than us, and he is a master deceiver, sadly, a lot of Christians fall into this. We lose out in this battle. Though he's already a defeated enemy, we end up losing a battle because we don't know how to fight, and sometimes we don't know what his tactics are. So that's what I'm going to show. I'm going to show you one, uh, uh, at least one. I don't have all the time to really talk about the entire armor, but I'm going to talk about what God has just placed in my heart. So, what is it then? What is the wiles of the enemy? What is his tactic? What is his scheme? If he's been here longer than you and I, he's been here. uh, The first mention of him and the first occurrence of the enemy uh, deceiving man was at the garden. So I want to take you back to the garden. Let's go back to the story of the garden. In the story of the garden, we know that God created the world, the universe, in six days, including man. Man is on the sixth day. And after that, what? On the seventh day, he rested. And on that seventh day, he called that... A day of rest. God rested not because he is tired, not because he is weary, because, but because every work that needs to be done was already done. It was already completed. That means that everything that Adam and Eve or man, the representation of man, everything that man would ever need has already been created and the work has already been done. Okay, you pretty much have everything that you need. Adam and Eve pretty much have everything that they need. But being a deceiver, that was uh, being a deceiver. What did he do with Eve? This is uh, coming from Genesis chapter three, verse five. They already have everything, but this is what uh, uh, what happened. For God knows, this is the the serpent telling Eve. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. What, is he, what was he doing? What the enemy was doing, or what the serpent was doing, was that though Adam and Eve had everything that, 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 they, that they would need, they already have it, the serpent made them feel that they're still lacking something. The serpent made them feel that, you know what, God is holding something back from you and it's that tree that he said don't eat because the day that you eat of it guess what this is what's going to happen your eyes will be open and you will be like god you would know good and evil and that's the failure in the garden of course the story we know the story he uh, eve uh, ate of the fruit then eve, eve gave the fruit to adam and the story of fall the man, of fall of man happened just because the deceiver said, or the deceiver made Eve feel like you're still missing something and God is withholding it from you. That was the deception. This is the master deception. It doesn't seem like it. The, uh, what do they call this? If you read this story, it's almost like you can miss it. That Really? Is that what's happening? Because, the, because everything that, uh, that they need was already in the garden. The fact that God took a Sabbath means that it is really for us to understand that when God took a rest, it means that everything that needs to be created, everything that needs to be worked on is already there. But yet Eve fell, and she was deceived, and she took of the fruit. Next verse, please. This is coming from Joseph Prince. This is what he says about the tactics of the devil. We're talking about his, his schemes here. If he doesn't have any more power but yet we're still battling and we're still enforcing his defeat, he still has tactics. He's still using his old tactics to keep us being deceived. And this is what uh, coming from Joseph Prince. The devil's number one tactic is to make you think that you don't have what you already have. That's his number one tactics, okay? That's uh, based on his observation, based on all the years of his reading. For you to think that you don't have what you already have, you will fall into that deception. So Sabbath, what's the next uh, passage after this? What do we have? See, Eve fell for that trap. Now let me ask you, what do you have? As a believer, what do you have? Do you know that you have everything already? Do you know that everything that you will ever need we already have? A few weeks ago, I was uh, doing uh, uh, the blessings, the spiritual blessings. I want to show it again. Here, this is coming from uh, Ephesians chapter one, verse three. The same letter that Paul wrote before he he reached chapter six, he was talking. He uh, he mentioned this in chapter one. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing." In the heavenly place. It says every. The word every is really just another word for what? For all. So we have been blessed with all. All blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Where do we do our battles? In the heavenly places. We have been blessed with all. With every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you know what the church? Do you know that you have all of this? That's really is the, that's really is the question. Because if Eve could have fallen for something that she has already had, we can easily also fall for that if we don't know what we have. And let let me just read it again. Adoption, acceptance, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, inheritance, the seal of the Holy Spirit, life, grace, citizenship. We have all of this in Christ. I'm going to look at two of them. I'm still doing a study on this myself. One of the other names that the enemy is called by. He is, he is an accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of the brother. It says in Revelations that he accuses us day and night. It's like, uh, I, I really can't picture it. He's probably going up to God and say, uh, God, look at Armin. He didn't read his Bible today. Or look at Armin, look what he did. He failed That's what he does. He accuses us. He accuses us. Look at him. That's not a Christian way to uh, to answer back. That's not a Christian way to do it. There's always an accusation against us. And if we don't know, how would you react? And that's why uh, when Paul began in Ephesians, he begins by saying that everything that we need has already been given to us in Christ. Accusation. What do you do when the, when the enemy accuses you? Where can you run? When you know you made a mistake, how can you run? Where do you run? What do you do? Okay. So how is it, so how, how then can we say that we have everything in Christ as being a believer? Let's look at redemption. In, in the book of uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 30, it says, Who then... Can bring a charge against God's elect. Who is God's elect? We are. We are God's elect. The believer is God's elect. Who can bring a charge against God? It's really a rhetorical question from Paul. Because really after that he says God is the one that justifies. And if God has justified you. Then really there is nobody else that can bring an accusation against you. Nobody else can bring a charge against you. But you need to know that. Though the devil knows that, like what I said, he has not stopped accusing you. And what do you do when you're getting accused? What do you run to? It's really the word redemption. Uh, Elmer, earlier, he was uh, preaching or uh, we were singing the song, It Is Done. It is done. Okay, The words that Christ said in the cross is, It is finished. But what was finished? Pastor Mark uh, talked about this a couple of times throughout his messages. What was finished? Let me bring you back to the, uh, to the idea of the Sabbath. I said that the Sabbath day is the seventh day, and it's really for us to understand that everything that needs to be done was already done. That's why God took a rest. The Old Testament Sabbath falls on what? On the seventh day of the week. But yet there's been a question then, why is it that the Christian... Uh, Uh, celebrate their Sabbath on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. There's been questions about that. I'm not here to uh, debate you uh, on why is it a Saturday and a Sunday. But let me bring you back to John chapter 3. So in the Old Testament, uh, God took a rest on the seventh day. And it says that every work is done. It is finished. But in John chapter 6, when Jesus was on earth, he said that my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish his work. What work? What work was he talking about? If, Jesus has, or if God the Father has already finished the work, then what is it that he's trying to finish again? What work is he talking about? If it was already a done deal, there's nothing else to do. Why is he then, Jesus, saying, I've come to finish the work of my Father? See, the creation was perfect until man fell. That perfectness, that perfect world was disrupted because man sinned. And that's why ever since then, God began to do a work. It's not a work of creation, but it's really a work of redemption. The position that man has in uh, in God was lost. The relationship was lost. That's what we lost. We lost the relationship with God. So ever since then, God began to work. God began to do a work of trying to bring back that relationship And finally, when Jesus came, he said, it is finished. And the word it is finished really means it is paid in pull. It is an accounting term. For some reason, you might think it uh, it feels weird that it is an accounting term. Because the word redemption also is really an accounting term. It's to pay in pull so that you can get back what was lost. So when Jesus said it is finished, he said it's been paid in pull, meaning it's been redeemed. Who is redeemed? We are redeemed. We've been redeemed back. The relationship that we lost has been redeemed back. The position that we have in the heavenlies has been redeemed back. Meaning it was already paid in full. Therefore, what was lost can be taken back. That's redemption. And that's why Paul was uh, uh, writing in Romans chapter 8.33 that who then can bring a charge against God's elect. Your enemy will always accuse you, no matter how good you are. You can read the Bible, you can read the Bible every day, and you can have this thought, yeah, you read the Bible today, you read three chapters, but I know somebody else who read more than that. You can be doing so good, but then an accusation can come to you and say, yeah, but I know a brother who does much more than you are doing. Whether you're doing good, whether you're doing bad, an accusation from the enemy, because that's what his goal is, to steal to kill, and to destroy. He doesn't come to make your life good, church. He makes it miserable, from miserable to miserable. So that's why we have to know that we have been redeemed. We have been, that what was lost was was already bought back. So that's his tactics, is to make you feel like you don't have what you already have. And if you don't know what you already have, then it's easy to fall into his tactics. It's easy to begin to do things on your own. Not to realize that, uh, did I finish the Sabbath story? No, I did not. Because Jesus said it is finished, and he died. And then three days later, he rose again from the dead. The day that he rose was on the first day of the week. Therefore, our Sabbath day really begins with the day of celebrating that, it is already done. All the work that Jesus needs to work to bring, to, to bring back redemption is already finished. And that's why we can celebrate on a Sunday. And we can start our week with just an idea that we can rest. It is already finished. We don't need to worry about it. We have everything that we ever need. We have adoption. We have acceptance. We have redemption. And because we have redemption... There is no accusation that your enemy can hurl at you that has not been paid in full by Jesus Christ. That's why the bare word it is finished means it is paid in full. It's paid in full. The only reason that you can be shaken and you begin, to, and you'll be, uh, when you cannot win a battle, is that when you don't know that you already have redemption. When the devil accuses you, oh, you just sinned, what do you do? You run away from God. And, that, and, and usually that's what happens. When we make a mistake, instead of running towards God, what do we do? We run away from God because we don't know that we already have been redeemed. So you got to know what you have. If his number one tactics is, is to make you feel like you don't have what you already have, then he has what? He is, he's already uh, he's, uh, winning this battle. Amen. Next, please. Next passage. So going back to what Paul was writing. So just to, to go back, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. I've mentioned to you that his number one tactics. Okay? I've already told you. We're not battling to win. Or to, to win. We, through the work of Christ, our enemy has already been defeated, but he has not surrendered yet. And sometimes a defeated enemy is a very dangerous enemy. That's why you cannot underestimate your enemy. Though we are, he's already defeated, he has not yielded. For example, during World War II, when the Japanese uh, military realized that the, they are already losing, because uh, when the Americans came through the islands, they were already losing. The, what the the Japanese military did was something that the U.S. military have never seen. They would take their plane and they would literally, what the, the word they used is kamikaze, that plane, into their ship. The U.S. military have never seen that. They were not intending to win, but they were intending to do the most damage. That's what they were doing. And. And in the natural, a defeated enemy sometimes is a very dangerous enemy because he has nothing to lose. Our enemy can think that way, and I think he thinks that way. Because he knows he got nothing to lose, he he is a very dangerous enemy. I mean, we're looking at our generation today. As I said earlier, he is a master deceiver. We're living in a time that what was traditionally... Considered to be wrong, is now being accepted as right for the sake of love and acceptance. Or what is used to be considered as traditionally right, which is really biblically right, is now being frowned upon and saying that you're intolerant. That's how much deception we're living in. We're living in a time today that we that the enemy has deceived the world. Okay. And that's the world. And hopefully as a church and as a Christian, you don't fall into that trap of deception. Because sometimes it's not, deception is not easy to identify. That's a a problem. It's not easy to identify. So he is an enemy that's defeated, but he has not surrendered. And he's using this last three minutes, okay, until Christ comes. He's using this last three minutes. He has not given up, okay. He's using this last three minutes to uh, to bring much damage to to the world, to us, to the to to humanity. That's basically it. If you are created in the image of God, then you're being attacked. It's uh, I, I like how um, I read this book. Uh, it says that spiritual warfare is like this: a woman who's been dumped by his, by her boyfriend. Okay, this is how he uh, he, uh, he pictured uh, spiritual warfare: a woman who's been dumped by uh, by her boyfriend. That woman now is so full of hate and so full of anger. So what does she do? She cannot go back to her boyfriend and get mad at her boyfriend. So what the woman does is take a picture of her boyfriend and she would curse at that picture. She would scratch that picture, stab that picture. Why? Because she cannot do it against her boyfriend, her ex now. So in the same way, that's how our enemy is. Because he doesn't have all the power, so he goes against the next thing that he can, which is the picture of God. We are, the, we are the one who has created in the image of God. And that's why none of us are really spared from being cursed at scratch, our image, okay? So get that. That's, what the, that's how he explains spiritual warfare is. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer ...or you're you're a non-believer, you believe in Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus... ...the enemy comes to steal from you, to kill, and to destroy. The good thing is, if you're a believer, is that we have been left with resources. We have been left with an armor so that we can stand against the tactics of the devil. And that's what Paul writes. And if we look at the very first armor... Sean, there you go. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day... And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Here's the first armor that Paul talks about. Having girded your waist with truth. The other translation of the Bible, it says it is a belt of truth. If his number one tactics is lies and deception, how do you dispel lies and deception? With the truth. You ever had a coworker who likes to lie? Don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> Usually, the reason why they lie is because they know they don't have the capacity or they don't have the authority. Usually, when your coworker tells you, oh, uh, our supervisor, our boss told us to do this, sometimes your supervisor didn't really tell you to do that, sometimes your manager didn't tell you to do that. He just uses that name, in, uh, so that is really what you call a lie. He's using, he's telling that because he knows in his own he doesn't have any power. That's, what, that's why the enemy uses lies and deception, because he knows he doesn't have any power. But his tactics is very deceiving, okay? And that's why the very first uh, armor that Paul talks about is the truth. Because truth will always dispel lies. It's always going to move away lies. But the problem is, if we don't know what is true, then we can easily fall for the deception. Amen? And that's why we don't stop telling people, you got to read your Bible, you got to read your Bible, you got to read your Bible. You would be a, a I don't know, you're, uh, if you're not reading your Bible and you don't know the truth, then you will fall for the lies and the deception that's going on that the enemy is throwing at you. And that would be a sad case. We would fall in the statistics that, uh, oh, uh, the, though we are Christians, though we are believers, though we have been given our resources to stand against the wiles of the enemy, but because we didn't know, we didn't know how to use the truth, we fall into that trap. Amen. And I really don't have any more time to do this. Uh, uh, Go ahead, next verse, Sean. So I want to just mention the first and the last. (laughs) The first weapon and the last weapon. Five defensive weapon, two offensive weapon. The two is, uh, uh, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need the belt to hold your trousers up, Right? Hold your pants up. But in those days, when Paul was writing this letter, it was really, he was looking at the Roman, uh, the Roman soldier. And what the belt does for the Roman soldier is really to hold, to hold the sword and another small dagger. So the first weapon that uh, he talks about is the belt of truth so that you can also hold the sword of the Spirit. And what is the sword of the Spirit? Once again, it's the Word of God. So once again, I'll, let, I'll tell you, You got to read your Bible. I'm sorry, church. This is what Pastor Steve Merrill calls it, the old, same, boring stroke. You got to have to keep doing it. You just got to keep reading your Bible. And then lastly, it says, "Praying always with all prayers and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance, supplications for all the saints. You're given a sword. You're given a helmet. You're given a breastplate of righteousness. You've given the shoes. You've given the... yeah, you've given five, then you've given a sword, and you've given prayer. That's the resources that God has left for us to wear, so that we don't, that we can stand in the evil days. I don't know; it may it might seem like to you it's just all poetic, but it is real as real can be. The spiritual realm is real, and spiritual warfare is real. Amen. And then, lastly, just to end, in First Peter chapter five verse uh, uh, chapter five verse eight, it's uh, Peter says in the same language as Paul. It says. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary is like a roaring lion, or he is like he's, a, he's like a roaring lion walking around seeking for somebody to devour, to devour. To okay, the word there is he is seeking for someone to devour, meaning to eat, to destroy. You don't have to be the one to be devoured, you have been given an armor. We have been given the resources. The enemy is predatory. He knows he's a predator. He was compared to a lion. A lion is your top predator. But it's up to you. You have been given resources. You have been given an armor. But you got to know. You got to wear it. You got to put it on. You got to know the truth. You got to know that your righteousness, like what Elmer was saying, our righteousness is not based on what we do. Because if it's based on what we do, our righteousness will fall then the, the the, the minute that we walked out the door, we've lost our righteousness. But thank goodness that it says in um, the book of Romans that our righteousness is a gift. It is a gift of righteousness. Something that is a gift is something that's given. Cannot be taken from uh, because it's not yours. Amen. So be sober, be, gil- be vigilant, church. You don't have to be stolen from. You don't have to be, um, You don't have to be killed out there. You don't have to be destroyed. God has provided for us resources so we can stand, withstand, stand, and finally stand. We can stand our ground. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just give Jesus a praise. Can I go ahead and get the worship team? Let's just go and pray, and then I'll, and I'll let the worship team end us. Father, thank you for your word Father, thank you that everything that we need, we already have in Christ. And Father, more than that, you've also provided for us resources wherein we don't have to, Paul, pray to the walls of our enemy. That his intention for us is to kill, to steal, and to destroy things in our lives. But Father, thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have everything that we will ever need to fight him off to enforce victory, and to enforce his defeat. So, Father, I just pray for us today. And I do pray, Father, that you protect us as we leave. I pray, Father, that we would learn how to put on our armor. We would learn how to take it up. That we, as as I said, we would learn how to read our Bible, and we would be faithful to read our Bible. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.